0: And say it's good to see you. Now look back at them. And say it's good to see me too. All right. And maybe you're saying, man, I didn't know you went to this church. And you go, "Well, I went to the nine. And, and like, well, I didn't know you went to this church. Well, I went to the ten forty five. How long have you been here? I've been here forever, right? And so maybe you're meeting some people for the first time this morning, or maybe at the Lompoc campus, uh, you are an early riser, and now you have a 9:30 service. Maybe you didn't realize that not only is there a gathering here in the room today, there is a gathering of people at 2:13 North J Street right now. Uh, they are joining us uh, via technology, and we're so thankful that you're there. Thankful for Pastor Tyler and all that's going on there. And for those of you who don't know, my name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I Actually, believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here, we say it's all about? Jesus. Don't worry, we wrote it on the wall at both campuses. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along today. And so if you forgot your Bible, you can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible and read it every single day. That's our gift to you. We pray that every time you read it, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Three of you think that? Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen amen that's a little better Uh, hey we are uh, jumping back into our series that we started in September that's right Uh, we're jumping back into the book of Genesis and so I want you to open to the book of Genesis It's the first book in the Bible it's not the oldest book in the Bible but it is the first book in the Bible and it tells the story from the beginning I want you to open to Genesis chapter 12 starting in verse one we took a break for the holidays but our diet here is that we preach through books of the Bible we, we say through books of the Bible because sometimes we don't preach uh, every single verse. We don't read every single line. We preach the book of the Bible. We uh, help teach that book of the Bible. And sometimes we emphasize other parts of it than the other. But we're trying to give you the whole theme as we preach through it. And that's the healthy diet. And here's why is I don't want the pizza I had last night to determine what I preach this morning. How about you? Right. I, I don't want every whim and every single thought and every issue that we need to address to be the thing that I come up here and put before you. But we want the scriptures to be the driver for our theology, because here's the reality is you need more than sermons. Somebody say amen to that. That was a little too hearty. Uh, we need more than sermons. Amen. Uh, we don't need to be dependent on other people. Here, so here's what I'm going to try to do this morning is, is I'm, I'm going to share some things from Genesis 12. And what I think about a sermon is I'm trying to prepare the appetizer. Uh, I'm still thankful that my children are young enough that if I give them an appetizer, it's full meal. Oh, praise God. Amen. I remember when appetizers used to cost appetizer prices. you remember that? Now it's full entree uh, with less food. And, and yet, um, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that when you're a child, an appetizer may fill you to fullness. But uh, if you're an adult, what an appetizer does is it does what it's supposed to do. It arouses your appetite. It causes you to hunger even More, It kind of gets you in the mood for that entree to eat. So here's the reality is when you come in here on Sunday mornings, my goal is to prepare an appetizer for you or in other words, stir you to hunger. And the reality is, is I'm convinced that if I can stir you to hunger, you'll go hunting for food. And here's the reality, is that when you are a child and you are hungry, you look for someone to feed you. You ever notice that? Uh, How many of you have young kids? Right? How how many of you uh, over and over? Mommy, I'm hungry. Daddy, I'm hungry. Get get. Give me some. They mostly say, "Mommy, I'm hungry," because they know Dad's not going to do it for them. If you ever, anyway. and, and yet, uh, "Mommy, I'm I'm just telling truthful things." And uh, "Mom, I'm hungry." And, and, and yet, as they grow up, as they get older, I start to see my children start to grab the chair, bring it over to the pantry, climb up. They they stop asking and they start hunting for food. And the maturity, and their size, and their growth begins to stir them. Them to start hunting for food. See, I think our society is kind of detached from where our food comes from. You have to ask a child, where, where does food come from? They're going to say El Rancho, okay? Yeah. And, and they're going to say uh, Coastal Meat. They're, they're going to say Grocery Outlet. I mean, they're going to say Albertsons, but that's not where food comes from right any ranchers in here want to say amen to that glory to god three of you thank you and and yet uh, the reality is is sometimes in the church world we're the same way we expect ready packaged food ready when you are at any bit of convenience i can just come into the grocery store that we think is the church and i can get a ready-made tv dinner And that's not what this is about. This is about stirring you to hunger. This is about arousing your appetite, pushing you towards the things of God. Because the reality is, is that as you grow, you stop looking for someone to feed you and you start looking for something to eat. Because the reality is a baby nursing is cute. A grown man is disturbing. Friends, amen? And yet in the church world, we have that. And we, so we want to push you forward. We want to, we want to prepare the appetizer. I want, I want you to leave with more questions than when you have. Why would you want to do that? Because the child might not even know to ask those questions. But the adult will be aroused to say, you know what? My curiosity is piqued. Man, what did he mean by this? What about this passage? And then they'll go hunting for for answers. And that's how you're going to grow in your relationship with God. That's how you're going to move forward, not being dependent on a pastor or a leader, but being dependent on the word of God that is for you left for your good. And so we want to train you in godliness. We want to train you in righteousness. We want to train you in your ability and give you the tools to hunt the skills and ability. We're going to give you resources, but we're going to point to this book and we're going to say, get your face in the book. And if you believe, that's the way to grow in God. Somebody say amen to that. Yeah, I think we do a little better than that long poke. All right. Uh, That's the way to grow in God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says, This And always that moment when I'm looking for my glasses and I realize I left them somewhere else, but I only have a few verses to read. So pray for your boy. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I want you to look at these. These is one of the most important passages in the Bible where we are today. God says to Abram, I will make you a great nation. Nation. Go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Let me let me repeat what he just said. I will make you a great nation. I will give you a great name. Why? So that you can be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And and in you all the families of Of the earth shall be blessed. Let me read it again. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are us. I ask for your grace today that you would help us in all things bring glory to you and good to this valley. We thank you for this passage that you've left for us. We pray that all scripture points to you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, amen. Sometimes what happens is we get detached from the Old Testament. Sometimes we begin to divide the book, and then by dividing the book, we begin to create in our minds there is a God of the Old Testament and there is a God of the New Testament. And, and one of the reasons we endeavored to start this series was to wipe away that misconception and say there is one God, and he's been the same yesterday, today, and Forever. He is unchanging. He has always been the same. And his plan for us has been good news from the start. Because sometimes what happens is in our book, I I say, hey, I want you to study the Bible. I just gave you a a whole uh, Reader's Digest version of why you need to read the Bible. And and yet when you come to Christianity or maybe when you raise your hand, say, I forgot my Bible and someone hands you a Bible, we hand you a book. And if you're new to Christianity, uh, what happens? You go, well, I'm going to read the book. And, and, And where do you usually start when you read a book? at the beginning of the book, and every seasoned Christian who hands a new Christian a Bible, hands them a Bible, and they go, well, I started reading. You're like, you don't do that. You don't start in the front of the book, right? Everybody knows that, and it's like, no, we don't. See, sometimes in our Christendom, in our culture, we just assume that people know how to handle This thing, but the reality is, when you hand someone a Bible, you're not handing them a book. You're handing them 66 books, canonized together, and books that are written in different genres and different literary styles from different periods, from different authors. And you're handing them this book, and you're like, "Here, navigate this library of books and try to figure out what it means." And then people start reading it, and they're they're mesmerized. They go, "I don't know if this is history, but this is a great story." right and they get in genesis and exodus and deuteronomy and then they get to leviticus and they're like wait what you you, you ever notice that they get they get to the part where there's some stuff in there that they don't fully understand and it's like don't don't boil a baby's calf and his mother's milk and I was like I never was tempted to ever do that and and, and like don't eat this and 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 don't do that and stop looking at this and all of these laws these Levitical laws these priestly laws uh, we kind of get to parts of the book like that and we go man I don't know about that you ever had your friend do that? You ever walked with somebody? You ever have somebody like, I don't understand this book? And then you're like, ah, just skip all that. Go like two thirds of the way through. Find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. Read those first, okay? Forget everything you read before. Like, I can't. It's in my head. I dream about it. Like, I don't get it. And and, and sometimes we do people a disservice because we're not willing to look at the book and really think about what God is saying to us through this book. So let me give you a little caveat, me, uh, me throwing some shade at the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. Leviticus, let me just give you a little appetizer, if you will. The The book of Leviticus is one of the most revolutionary books in the history of the world. Why is that? Because in the ancient world, you didn't know what the gods wanted from you. You didn't know if you were going to find yourselves in the good graces of the God. You didn't know how to make a righteous standing with a God. And the book of Leviticus is given to Moses and, and the people of Israel. And actually, it is God saying, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to figure it out. I'm going to tell you all the things that I'm requiring of you. You can know whether you're in or out and you can know what it takes if you find yourself in an unclean state, which is what Leviticus talks about. It doesn't talk about sinful or not sinful. It really talks about in a ritualistic setting about how you would come and approach God whether you were in a clean or unclean state. Now it wasn't sinful to be in an unclean state. But it was sinful to waltz into the presence of God in an unclean state. And so you would take uh, certain precautions. You would follow the list. You would do the things he said for you so that you could put yourself into a clean state and then you could approach God. That's how Leviticus is one of the most revolutionary books. And then the story goes on. But you have to try to, you're have trying to figure out, okay, how does this fit in to Jesus. How does this fit into salvation? How, how does the story go together? And it's starting right here, this pivotal moment at chapter 12 of Genesis. We start with the creation account, God creating the heavens and the earth. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of those sermons as we tackle theistic evolution. we, we, tackle modern science's propaganda of a theory that's not backed in scientific fact but belief and a group of scientists that are actually uh, pushing forward poking holes where leading scientists are starting to question the validity of Darwin's theory of evolution so I would encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons. I would encourage you to go on a hunt on a dig if you will and think about it, two people, I would, or two people that I would point to if you're taking notes to look at those sermons would be Stephen Meyer and John Lennox. These are people, let me, let me, that's the speech of go hunting, if you will. Here's some ways to go hunting. Stephen Meyer just wrote a New York Times bestseller, Return to the God Hypothesis, meaning that most of science is starting to leave the theory of natural selection and move to a return to a God Hypothesis. That doesn't mean that they're ready to embrace biblical Christianity, but they're returning because there's no other good, reasonable, logical explanation. And see, we as believers, we use logic and we use reason because we have a mind. We're created in the image of God. And Paul even says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength." So as Christians, we love God with our intellect. Amen. Some of us have more than others. All right. All right. All right. Right. And and yet sometimes what we do, it's either we totally remove ourselves from the conversation, rejecting, afraid of it. Or we blindly believe things without investigating or having good sense and reason and an ability to communicate to others. And so Genesis opens up and tells us the story. And then and then there are many be- strong believers who are using science to support what the Bible has been saying to us for thousands of years. But then we get in this story, uh, this this story about humanity and humanity being represented and literally showing us what all mankind would do through Adam and Eve. And many of us know the story that they rebel against God. They would rather decide what's right and wrong on their own rather than looking to the creator of the universe, a God transcendent outside of them to determine for us what's good and evil right and and wrong. You know how difficult it is to referee your own pickup basketball game. You know how difficult it is to referee your own argument in your marriage, right? Somebody say amen or oh no to that, right? There's certain rules. You're you're calling foul on them and never foul on you. It's always their fault and never yours because sometimes when you're in the thing, you can't see outside of the thing. And yet that's exactly who God is. He's outside of this thing that we're in from the start of the book. He's outside and he's showing us the way because he created us us and designed us with intention and purpose. But humanity rebels against God, decides their ways better than God's way and into chaos we go. The opening of Genesis tells us that the world was in chaos and God brought order. And instead of following God's order and his way, we decided to go our way, which led to no way and nothing at all and plunging into chaos. That's the first few chapters of Genesis. All the way where there is a resetting of the hardware. There's a sermon that Pastor Tyler talked to us about about the flood and the resetting of humanity that God saw that all of creation, his heart, his intention, all of mankind was evil and wicked always and often. There'd been a hardware problem and God reset everything but through his grace chose to save one family and restart humanity. And yet what we see is even though God blesses, even though God bestows his grace, it seems like we are caught in this struggle that there's been a hardware reset, humanity wipe out, and yet what we find after the story of Noah is there's a software issue. There's something on the inside that keeps pulling us astray. There's something bent in us. You remember the great prophet, Dr. Seuss? Remember that guy? Uh, In the Lorax, the the Lorax says to the Onceler, which which way does a tree fall? And and the Onceler quickly says, "A, a tree falls down. And the Lorax says, no, no, no. A tree falls the way it leans. So be careful which way you lean. The Bible tells us that we have this bent, we have this lean, we have this fracture, if you will, and it's inside of us as if, as if it was a software issue, an issue of the heart, an issue of the mind that we just can't quite get away from. Then we get to this story of the ta- Tower of Babel, where all of humanity is trying to unite itself against God, to make itself great, to make human beings. They even say this, let us go build a tower to the heavens that we may make our name great. God confuses their language, scatters them imagine all of the trouble we managed to get ourselves in even with a diverse uh, the, the diverse languages of the earth how much more if we had a unified language without a language barrier would we get ourselves into some trouble and that's exactly what happens at babel but god scatters their language divides them uh Now, each story shows us that humanity has this bent. Humanity constantly wants to go his way, not God's way. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you've been in a season in your life where, man, I, the thing that I know to do, that's it's not what I want to do. I try. I get myself there. I I think I try to pull myself up from my boots, or I rearrange my schedule. I'm going to work out. I'm going to get in the morning. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to set all of these these resolutions. Nobody's doing that, right? Anyways, uh, and and yet we set these things out. But but how many of us we start the standard and then sway from that standard? The first few weeks go pretty well. Some of us, the first few days, some of us are like, man, I forget what I said yesterday. I don't know. I'm worried about that. <laughs> right? like, like some of us get in that pattern and then the standard wanes. It, it, it's much like what happens. How many of you have ever painted the inside of your, your own house? You ever done that? Right, first, I remember the first time Sarah and I painted a house that we'd bought in Kentucky, which is worth the down payment of a house here. Anyways, and and we, we owned our own house there, and, and we decided to paint the interior. And I tell you what, the first room, man, and in the South, they call that front room the preacher room. Like my in-laws have a preacher room. Like it's the only place they'll let the preacher come in. They won't let him go any further than that room. Like some of you, I've only been in the front part of your house, I'm starting to realize is this Right now, right, like that front room and like it's dialed, man. Just before the preacher got there, there was plastic on the couches, right. Like, and then finally we're gonna let them in. It's like a white couch, like I don't know why. Like it's just like the holy of holies for southern preachers, and 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 yet that front room of the house. I remember when we taped that off, man. That first room, you remember? You roll out all of the plastic, you tape everything off, and you got a system, right? You're like looking, like, listen, baby, you trim, I, I. I'll roll and we'll, you know, we'll get this thing going. And I'm telling you, like, it is dialed. Remember that front room? Like front room is perfection. You're starting to look back. And you're like, we're pretty good at this. I think we could take this on the road. You know what I mean? Like we could make some money doing this. And, and then by the next room, there's a little less plastic on the floor right? A little less tape. You're like, man, I'm pretty good. Like, look how straight my hand moves, right? Like, like I don't need plastic. Like, what do you need? And then by the time you get to the back bathroom, do you know what I'm talking about? All hell has broken loose. You're like, just get it done. Get the neighbor's kids on here. Get them putting fingerprints on the wall. Just get paint on the wall. How many of you have been there before right or maybe it's the standard of cleanliness when you have guests over and you can determine how well you know somebody by how messy that you will allow them to see your house right like if your house is spotless when I come over I know we're not close right and and yet sometimes what happens is the standard out in front the standard that we project the standard that we want to keep the thing that we want to do that's not what we do as time goes on and as eyes and attention wane. We move away from that standard. That is literally the story of the Bible in a nutshell. Even when there's God's voice to individuals blessing, directing, giving guidance to, and they start off on the right foot, but the whole story will tell us that they eventually go their own way. This story of Abram is no different. Even though you may say, well, this is Abram, God will later give him a name Abraham, he'll finish his name and and we know him as Abraham and we'll actually hear the people in the New Testament talking about our father Abraham. They'll even brag, I'm a descendant of Abraham. They'll get in conversations with Jesus and argue and say things like, how do you know, are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus is going to make this fantastic statement in the New Testament where he's going to say before Abraham was, I am. You're you're not even 35 years old. And that's what people say about me being the pastor, but I'm 35 now. All right. (laughs) And right. And and, and yet uh, the reality is, is people got fixated on Abraham and his relationship with God. But here's what I want to give you a caveat for is even when God makes a promise, this is actually the second covenant. There's four covenants we see in the Old Testament. This is actually the second. The first one is with Noah. And God makes a covenant after the flood and he tells Noah that he will not flood the earth again and destroy humanity this way. That he'll put his bow in the sky and every time you see a rainbow, you can be reminded of God's covenant with us. That he is for us and he loves us and he's going to keep his promises. And the unique thing about this covenant, and it's a, it's a, a word that's, uh, that is unique to the Bible. It's not like a promise. It's not like a contract. A contract is something where we go into an agreement, and if you don't live up to that agreement, I can just get out of that agreement. But a covenant is quite different. A covenant, and that's why we say that marriage is a covenant. It's, it's not a contract, even though our society wants to move away what marriage is and move it away from a covenant to a contract, a covenant is a lifelong commitment. Someone say amen to that. And we're, we put ourselves in a covenant. But here's the beautiful thing about God and the reality of us is that even though it's a covenant, oftentimes we don't keep that covenant. We find ourselves because of this bent. We find ourselves because of this software issue. We find ourselves even in this covenant with God. See, from Noah, in this first covenant, God says what he will do and then requires nothing of Noah. It's quite strange. What we find is even after Noah's rescue, he finds himself in trouble. He finds himself in sin once again. Abram, the second covenant that we see in the Old Testament. God says these things. Could you imagine the God of the universe? And it goes from humanity, God's relationship with all of humanity, and the result of that with the flood, and then the tower of Babel, to chapter 12 takes this turn where God kind of gives us the non-argument the argument that we'd say you mean God chose this one family to then bless everyone and God dealt differently with God's chosen people what he's doing is he's zooming in and showing us by showing us one what everyone would do because we forgot one through 12 where God did show us what exactly humanity would do and so the first few chapters are God showing us what all humanity will do. And then he goes, okay, let me show you what, even if I deal with one, one person, even if I say things like, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, it, and him who dishonors you, I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All of a sudden, he goes from looking out of how God deals with all of humanity, and he zooms in on one man. The the, the, uh, the scriptures take a complete abrupt turn, and out of nowhere, God is speaking to one man. Right before this, we get the genealogies of Abram, but, but the Bible doesn't tell us there's anything special about Abram. God doesn't tell us anything about him other than who his father was and where he lived. And apparently that's not a big deal because the first thing that God will say to him is now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him. We don't know prerequisite of Abram doing anything to gain this this special privilege to have God speak to him individually. Not only speak to him individually, but say, I'm going to take you out of this place. I'm going to make you a great nation. And then he makes this covenant with him. And the reason why we call this a covenant is because there's conditions on both sides. He says, I will bless you in order to be a blessing. And he even says, if anyone comes against this covenant, anyone who blesses you, I will bless. Anyone who curses you or dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the world will of the earth will be blessed what an interesting thing to think in light of the new testament See, sometimes we can get caught up in preaching the text in where we are now and, and kind of try to understand the story. But here's what we have. We have the privilege of looking back at the story. We're not stuck in a time period. We're not stuck in Abram's time. And So I don't, I don't want to teach you a historical lesson about Abram. I want to help you understand how the story of Abram and Abraham fits in with the whole of the story. See, what we'll even look at next week is even after Abram is given this promise from God, he leaves and he finds himself in Egypt. And all of a sudden he finds himself in shame, in cowardice, finds himself lying that his wife is his sister, Ugh. right? finds himself lying. He doesn't. In one moment he trusts God. He trusts God when he says, I will make you a great nation. Then he finds himself in a great nation and he's fearful of Pharaoh. He, he knows he married up and Sarah is a hot woman. Amen. That's my wife's name. And, uh, and he goes, no, no, I'm fearful. Pharaoh's going to see my wife and he will kill me. Just tell Pharaoh that you are my sister. Like, here's what you think. You think, God, God, you're like, God, this guy? That's the guy? You're going to be like, you're a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And he's scared out of his mind and is willing to allow Pharaoh to take his wife. And see, sometimes we read in the story, we go, "Man, this is a hero. This is a great man. He's going to be a great nation. He's going to God's. He's going to bless him." Man, I want to be like him. I want to be. I want to be like man. And then you turn the book, and you are like, "Man, I want to be like the mighty men of valor. I want to be like David. I want to be like all of these." And what you get from Abram on, even though there is blessing, even though there is provision, even though there is greatness, what you find is time after time after time. Everyone else getting it wrong. That's what you find. What you find is there's an issue. What you find is that no matter you're striving, there's an issue that needs to be addressed. See, the Bible takes us from the covenant and then it puts us at the cross. And these aren't opposed to one another. It doesn't go from God saying, I'm gonna do great things, and great... This is actually good news from the start. It's not that he said, Abram, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Ah, you didn't live up to that. The whole time, from the start, the first messianic promise and prophecy in the Old Testament, he looks at Eve and he says, the seed of a woman, which one, that's not... The right way to look at it: is women don't have seed. This is already something that's completely different than what I read at first glance. The seed of a woman will come. He says to the serpent, you'll try to crush him. You'll try, you'll try to hurt him, you'll try to take him out, but he, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. The serpent, he says, this is your fate, from the start, and God sets out and shows us how this story is going to play out from the covenant all the way to the cross. Because sometimes people ask, man, why did Christ, like, like you Christians, like what do you mean? Like you believe that, that, that there was this angry God who, who in order not to kill all of humanity punished his son on behalf of everyone? Man, what a barbaric and ancient thing you Christians believe. Man, I've had that. I've had people say certain things to me like that. And if you start thinking about, man, we believe Christ died for our sins, but we don't understand why. Well, it starts with this promise. This promise that God from Abraham from the seed of a woman we'll follow the genealogy because here's what will happen is Abram goes from one man to a man and his wife and then they have some babies because all because two people fell in love you get that's how it happens right okay and just making sure and and then they have Children and then their children marry uh, other people's children, and then all of a sudden, this this one group of individuals becomes this family, becomes this nation of people, this people of Israel, where they'll find themselves ruled by a king, King David, and and yet they think that's the climax of the story. But God's showing them that even when they have the kingdom, even when they they reach the pinnacle. People in power still fall. People with fame, people in, in cel- celebrities, people who have money. What he begins to show us is it doesn't matter what station. Because somebody may be like, well, well when we were in Egypt, we, it was hard to serve you. He goes, well, let me show you what it's like to be in a palace. Still hard. The story of the Bible takes us on the where God stays the same and humanity is constantly breaking, constantly moving forward, falling out of commitment, falling out of covenant. Then we get to the person of Jesus. The whole story moves from the covenant to the cross. You go, well, what's the point of that? It's so that Jesus can come live the standard. You know that standard that you only keep when people are watching? The standard you only keep in the front room? The standard you only keep for the first few days of the New Year's, the first few weeks of the New Year's, the standard that you have for what it means to be a good friend, what it means to be a good husband and a good wife and a good father, all the standards you have that I'm gonna run my company, my business this way, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna be generous, I'm gonna go, and then all of a sudden you realize, man, I cut corners that time. Uh, I lied to the inspector. I, I, I pushed this off. I was not integrous here. All the standards that I want everyone else to keep, all the standards that I look and say, Hey, you people ought to do this. When I look in the mirror, I go, man, there's some things I ought to do better. How many honest Jesus-loving people would say, Amen, that that's your story too? Man, that's the power. Man, I'm gonna be a pastor who's like this. I'm gonna make sure I'm never like this. And yet, constantly waning from the standard, constantly moving myself in a place where I don't keep the. St- the standard and the Bible says that God stepped off of his throne poured himself into the into humanity see that that God who's transcendent outside of the game the one who's above decided to enter into human history because you know what I'll become a man and I'll show them the way Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But see, this isn't a new plan. This is the plan from Genesis 12. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you in order that you may become a blessing. Anyone who blesses you, I'll bless. Anyone who dishonors you, I will curse. And all of the families of the earth will be blessed in you. Friend, this passage, like every other passage, is not primarily about Abraham. It's not primarily about the nation of Israel. It's not primarily about you and I. This passage is about Jesus. His name will be great. God will bless him in order to bless everyone. Where one man sinned and it caused sin to rule and reign for all. But then what do you do with the other side of the covenant? What do you do when he says, Anyone who dishonors you, I will curse. See, this is the problem we have to deal with. Because covenants have both these sides blessing and cursing. Here's what the Bible tells us that we all have dishonored God and have brought onto us a curse. We see this play out in the person of Jesus that everyone goes astray. And the multitude will dishonor Jesus at his trial because they allow a murderer to go free and they chant, crucify him. How do we get out of that? How do we get out of that we have dishonored God? For the wages of sin is death. We've brought a curse of the law of sin and death. Here's what Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. How does this work? Jesus actually takes the other side of it. He goes, everyone has dishonored and everyone doesn't deserve blessing We've all agreed that. We've all came to the conclusion that we don't always do what's right. We don't always do what we ought to. That if God's people, God's person, the person of Jesus is the fulfillment of Abraham, we haven't honored, we've dishonored. And we deserve a curse. So how do we get out of that? Jesus says, from the start, I'll take it. The story of the Bible goes covenant to cross. We're on the cross. Any man who is hung on a tree is cursed. Yet Jesus becomes this curse for us. He made him knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? So that all the families of the earth could be blessed in him. Romans will go on to say, listen, that if anyone be found in Christ, he's not condemned. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the spirit of the life of Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. See, the Bible moves from covenant to the fulfillment of that covenant In the cross, this is why Jesus says on the night he's betrayed, and he shows us the Lord's table. He shows us communion. He says this is the blood of the new covenant. But do you know what he fulfills? Jesus doesn't do away with that old covenant. He fulfills it. What's he do? He becomes a blessing. God makes Jesus, gives Jesus a name which is above every name, Genesis 12 says, I will make your name great. He says to Abraham, I will make your name great. Philippians 2 says that Jesus is the most famous person in human history. Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis 12. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. And he will make him a great nation. What's this nation? See, here's what I want you to think about in closing. It goes from covenant to the cross to the great commission. See, this is the side we're living on. I look back and understand how we got here. I look back and see how God made a covenant, a covenant that we could not keep, so God became a man and held both ends of the bargains so that he could write something new, a new covenant in his blood. What is this covenant? that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now there's a way to be righteous, clean, in right standing, apart from your do's and don'ts, apart from your religious rituals. And this is through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans will tell us that like Abraham believed, we believe. What did Abraham do? He heard from God and did what God told him to do. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was looking forward, now we're looking back and going, God, I believe that you did away with the curse that the enemy keeps reminding me of. See, the enemy's been defeated and now all he has is shadow games and lies. Every time you mess up, every time you don't keep the standard, every time something you, you, you start adding up don't we we're like man this happened because i know i didn't go to church and i didn't pray and, and i said that bad word the other day and i messed up and you start keeping the scales and you and, and here's the reality is the bible says that all your good deeds and all your righteousness amount to nothing that it's through faith in jesus believing that god made a covenant And the story of the Bible isn't about heroes, it's about mess ups. We got any of those in here today? And the faith is believing that God is the hero, that God kept the covenant, fulfilled it, and he's written a new covenant at the cross. And because of this new covenant, he's now commissioned me. Why? To fulfill this promise that all of the nations of the world will be blessed. That's a big endeavor, huh? See, right now we think about the nations. Sometimes we think about our nation. So we go, man, how are we going to change things? Man, I, I want to see change. I, I want to see something new. I, I, I want, but see, nations don't just happen. Nations start with Abrams and Sarahs and children and families. And families make up nations. See, that's what Genesis 12 is trying to tell us. Genesis 12, he tells Abram, I'll make you a great nation. How? I'm going to give you a family. And you're going to care for your family. And that's going to be a model for everybody else's family. And then your families will get together with other people's families at 9.30 on Sunday at Crossroads Church in Builton and in Lompoc. And while you're leading your family, and I'm leading my family, and I'm trusting God, and I'm believing God the way Abram is, all of a sudden families turn into great nations, friend. See, at the Great Commission, Jesus goes in Matthew and he says, Go into all the earth. Go, therefore, all all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations. Disciple the nations and tell them to do what I've taught you to do. What's our task? How do you do that? You start with families. What does that mean, friend? That means you stop complaining about nations and you start tending to your family, sir. You stop looking at what the world, and you say, God, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm gonna put my, my family around other families who also trust God, who also hear his voice and go like Abraham. Go therefore. What does that mean? It means we got work to do. It means that your commitments change based on the covenant of God, the cross of Jesus Christ, and the commission he's given you. You may think, well, I don't know how to go into the world. You know how to serve your family. You know how to model Jesus. Jesus. You know how to respect and love your husband and together look at those families. And if you're single, you go, God, then I'm gonna live in such a way and I'm gonna hold the standard to whoever I'm going to make a covenant with that they're going with me in the same belief and the same resolve towards the person of Jesus. I'm gonna live his standard because his way is better than My way. His decision for my family is better than my decision. This is what it means. To look and realize that this has always been good news from the start. And he's had a plan. And he's commissioning you. And it starts today. What better way for you to start Go, you know what i'm gonna start worrying about everybody else and i'm gonna start like abraham trusting and believing god i'm gonna trust and believe that god's made a way where there seemed to be no way and that way is going to start right with me right with my home right with my family and together we're going to build a great nation of those who follow jesus will you pray with me gracious heavenly father We love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I thank you for this new season at Crossroads Church. I thank you together as we plan for our midweek gatherings, a community of people, as we every Sunday in one service together with children, with families, with friends, that our families are come along other families living out the great commission because you held the covenant at the cross. And your name is great and greatly to be praised. And you're blessing all the families of the earth because nations aren't nations without a bunch of families. And so with the demise of a nation means that there has been the degradation of the family. But let us be people who commit here today, our family's going to be different. And someday we'll see a great nation under the banner of King Jesus for your glory and our good. And everybody said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?